Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris. And wherever you're joining us, whether you're down the street, around the world, we are delighted that you're a part of this broadcast because we are in the summertime. And I don't know about you, I love summertime and all that goes with it. I hope you and your family have an opportunity to go and just have some time together. And I hope more than anything that over these weeks uh, that you will grow in the Lord. Uh, Every summer, we have a message series entitled At the Movies. It's where we use movies. We use things in culture to kind of teach spiritual lessons. And this week, we begin that series. Uh, Our movie this week is High School Musical. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this movie. I know it blew up a number of years ago. I know for me personally, I'd never seen it until about a week ago. And after I saw it, I kind of know why I didn't see it. Uh, Not that it's a bad movie, but it's just a coming-of-age story about a bunch of high school kids at a place called East High. And and there's a leading man, and there's a leading lady, and they kind of fall in love. And but the story really is about kids who are trying to find their identity. They're trying to uh, be accepted by their peers, and they're trying to find a place to belong. Uh, they want to feel cared for. They want to become into their authentic self. And isn't that true for all of us? We all want to be our authentic self. And why wouldn't we? Because being fake, it's just it's too tiring, isn't it? And, and the, the whole show culminates. And if you haven't seen it, you should. And if you haven't heard the song, I don't know how you missed it. But there's this song called We're All in This Together. And essentially, that's these students, they realize that although uh, they are different, in many ways they're the same. And you know, that really is the truth for all of us. Because we all want to be accepted. And we all want to belong. And we all really want to be uh, cared for. And we want to come into our authentic self. And yet, I would argue that that's really hard to do in the culture in which we live today. You know, we live in the United States of America. And, and arguably, we've never been more divided. Really, we're the divided states of America. When you, when you think about it, there's very few places in culture that are unified around anything. In, in fact, um, it, it's not in politics because we've never been more politically polarized than ever. It's probably not in race relations because we're seeing even now, even since the 1960s, you would think that things would have gotten better. And, and perhaps in some ways they have. Um, it it kind of depends on who you ask. What, what I would simply say is that that is definitely a problem in America today. We're, we're, not, we're not united on this area. Um, we know homes are divided. We know that even as I speak, there's some of you that you're going through tribulations in your own home. Jesus wrote, uh, said a prayer, John chapter 17. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to leave this group of 12 people that he's invested his life into. And he prays for them. And what I think is amazing is this. He gives us this incredible insight to how you and I are supposed to live together. And, and he doesn't just pray for those disciples there. He actually prays for people like you and me. And the secret that he gives us to, to being accepted and, being, and feeling like we belong and being cared for and coming into our true identity is found in this thing called unity. In fact, notice what the scripture says, starting in verse 8. It says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know that in the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and you're mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that was Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. You know, when Jesus is, is praying this prayer, this it's called the high priestly prayer, he's praying it for those believers then, but he also prayed it for people like you and I now who follow Christ. And so I have to just say that the de declaration of that movie is so true, and it sums up this prayer beautifully. When I give you this message point, we're all in this together. In fact, say it with me. We're all in this together. And I want you to notice straight out of the scripture four characteristics about how we maintain this thing called unity. See, we're all in this together, so understand unity is grounded in purpose, not personality. You notice in verse 11 right there, it says, Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In verse 21, it says this, That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading that scripture, there seems to be a word that just jumps out. And I have a feeling you're very smart, and so you're going to know what that word is. Is the word one. Like Jesus prayed, Jesus wants his church to have unity to be one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unity is not found in sameness. In fact, the, the illustration is so found in the relationship of the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, they are completely one in their purpose, yet they're completely different in their function. I mean, God the Father was the great architect of faith, and the Son is, is the one who brought about the reality of faith, and the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to daily experience faith. So they have three different functions, and yet they're completely one in their purpose. I'm so glad that we don't all have to be the same, aren't you? I'm glad that we don't have to look the same and be the same. I'm glad that we can have all different kinds of varieties of people. You know, well, here's what I've found. I've found, though, that there are some churches, there are some faith systems that require their people to all be the same. And so I don't know about you, when I was growing up, there were different churches that you could always tell that they were a part of the same church. You know why? Because the men always looked a certain way, 
and the women always looked a certain way. Uh, women would, and, and some of these would grow their hair really long. They would wear, you know, really modest or really um, kind of, in some ways, kind of antiquated looking clothing. It happens today, even with some groups like the Mennonites and, and, and others. I say this to you because that is not what unity is. Unity isn't that we all are just put on the same shirt and we just pretend like we're getting along. No, in fact, write this down as well. Unity thrives in diversity. I mean, differences are essential to the purposes of God. Excluding sin, differences are okay and needed. It's okay that you and I are different. See, we need older people uh, because they have wisdom. We need younger people because they have strength and they have enthusiasm. We need men and we need women. Why? Because they complement one another. We need different cultures and races. Why? Because no one culture, no one race is above another. You see, everybody can belong. And, and, and so here's the thing. Outside of sin, quit trying to change people and make them just like you. Um, the reason there becomes strife in a church, the reason there becomes factions and divisions is whenever people start playing the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. The reason there becomes this strife in the church is because here's why. We're not going toward the common purpose. You see, what is the purpose of, of church? What was the purpose of Christ? What should our purpose be? John 17, verse 4, right before these verses, it says this, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I don't know what it is that fires you up. I don't know what it is what you were striving to do in the last seven days, but here's what I know what God has always been about. He will always be about, and this is his main purpose. It's this, that he gets glory or credit for all that happens. Like, that's what God is about. I, I, so I don't know what you're about. So, and, but I know this, we ought to all be about the glory of God. You know, we have a purpose statement that we say uh, here in our faith family. We say it much and often. And it's simply this, and maybe you know it. If you're one of our faith family and you're just traveling or whatever, you would probably know this. this. We're spreading God's fame by making disciples of all people. We're spreading God's fame. We want to see the glory of God go to the four corners of the world. We're spreading God's fame by making disciples. We want to, to see people grow in their relationships with Christ and of all people. We want this to happen here, there, and everywhere. But that first statement is the galvanizing statement. If I'm for God's glory and you're for God's glory, then guess what? We can be radically different, but we're going toward the same purpose and goal. Let me demonstrate. You know, I live here in Dallas, and in Dallas, every year about this time, we always believe that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. Happens every single year. In fact, I was listening to sports radio this week. They were talking about, oh, yeah, this is going to be the year. Well, of course they have because they hadn't played a game yet, okay? Um, but here's what is interesting about a football team. When you have a football team, you have 11 players on offense. They all have a different position. Most of them have a different body type. They have a different skill set. Um, a lot of them have different backgrounds. Um, they come from different uh, cultures most of the time. But here's the one thing they have. They are united in their purpose. You know what that is? To get to the same goal line. They want to take 11 different people, play in 11 different positions, and get to the same goal line. You know, the reality is this, that that is what, what is always going to give power to the church is unity and purpose. And by the way, it's not just the church. It's your home. And by the way, it's not just your home. It's your business. And by the way, it's not just your business. It's your individual self. But here's the thing. 
You know how you get to that united purpose? It ha happens through submission. Because think about this. The Son had to submit to the will of the Father. And the, and the Holy Spirit had to submit to the will of the Son. You see, united in purpose, great diversity. You see, there is unity in diversity. See, we're all in this together. And notice the second characteristic. Realize unity is propagated in truth. It's propagated in truth. So if unity is our purpose, the way the glue that holds that purpose together is always going to be grounded and founded in truth. Notice what it says in verse 17 and 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So to be sanctified means this. It means to be set apart for a noble purpose, right? We are set apart by the truth. So sanctify them. In the truth, your word is the truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. You see, here's the thing about it. Truth is an objective, absolute, unchangeable standard. Here's why we don't have unity in the world today. Because we can't agree on what the truth is. Republicans can't do it. Democrats can't do it, right? Can't do it in some school districts. Can't do it in some, some, can't do it in some churches. Like there are some churches that are radically divided in the area of truth. I would even point to our own denomination when I think about this. Because it used to be whenever you said you were a quote-unquote Baptist, which by the way, I'm just going to tell you this if you're watching this, I'm a Biblicist far more than a Baptist. But it used to be, 20, 25, 30 years ago, that when you said you were a Baptist, there was a certain level of expectation that all Baptists believed X, Y, or Z. And so it didn't matter if you were in Nebraska or Florida, California, Texas, wherever, they all believed the same thing. What I would submit to you today is that is not true. There, there's, there's, there's a wide swath of conviction and understanding. Why? Because not everybody adheres to this truth. You see, truth, by definition, is this. It's this absolute changeless standard by which reality is measured. Truth lives outside of you. It's bigger than you. It's like this ruler. A ruler, by definition, um, is typically one foot long. Now, this one's a little bit longer, okay? It's one foot long. It is 12 inches. So a ruler, by definition, is one foot, right? It has... It has 12 inches in it. So if you take away 2 inches and it's 10 inches, is it still a foot? No. It's, it's less than a foot. There are some people that they, they compromise God's word. And so they go, you know, I like most of what God says, but I don't like part of it, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just keep the parts I like, and I'm going to get rid of the parts I don't like. And so by doing so, they have cut the standard. You understand, God didn't cut the standard. They cut the standards. So that's why we have people today who struggle with uh, morality, what is right, what is wrong, because what they don't want to do is look at a standard, an absolute standard, outside themselves. This happens in churches. This is why we have to guard the truth. There's some people, and I think churches are really bad about this, they add to the standard. So instead of saying a foot is 12 inches, they go, really, we're going to add some stuff to that. We're going to add about three inches on that. It's 15 inches. And so for some of them, they've, they've picked up other outside trappings, right? 
And so they've added to what the Bible says. They've made it harder for people. So they say, well, you got to sing certain songs or you got to read a certain translation of the Bible. you got to do certain things. And, and here's the problem. They've added to it. And so is that a foot? It's not a foot. A foot is 12 inches. A foot is 12 inches. It's not less than. It's not more than. It's 12 inches. Why do I say this to you? Because don't you understand that if, if, our, if our unity is founded in purpose, and if truth is the glue that holds that together, it, it propagates, it propels truth, it, and it strengthens our bond, then don't you understand something? God's never going to show up with liars. You see, God never compromises his truth to accommodate our comfort. Some people are more comfortable taken away from the standard. Well, I like all that other stuff, but I just don't like this, these few parts. That's not God's standard. God's not going to show up there. God's also not going to show up with a group of people who add to his standard. Because God is going to always honor only his truth. And here's why truth is so powerful. Because John 8.32 says this, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's, here's what this means. It means that, first off, truth exists. We live in a world that says, oh, well, truth doesn't really exist. I mean, how can you know that? I mean, well, this is true for me, and that's true for you. And, you know, truth is relative. No, it's not. You will know the truth. Truth, God says truth exists this unwavering, uncompromising standard exists. And check this out. It's knowable. It's knowable. You can know the truth. In fact, one of the greatest things about our God is that today he's so merciful. The reason he didn't just pull the, 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 the rope on the divine curtain of, of, the, of the future end times is because he's not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient and wanting people to perish. And and this truth is knowable. So, so here's the thing about it. If you find yourself, because you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you find yourself in bondage today, it's really for one of two reasons. Either because you don't know the truth or you're not applying the truth. Because the truth is there. And here's the thing. It brings freedom. When, when the truth of God is applied in your life and my life, it brings unboundless freedom. And here's the thing. It also brings us into greater purpose with one another. See, um, truth is even bigger than our facts. You realize that. A number of years ago, uh, I had this just incredible pain in my midsection, and it just radiated around my back. It would wake me up at night, and uh, I thought I had indigestion. So you know what I did? The fact is my stomach hurt. The fact is I had some problems. So I went to CVS, and I went down to CVS. You know what I did? I bought me some Pepto-Bismol. And I bought me some Pepto-Bismol, and I thought, this is going to fix my problem. I got an upset stomach. Don't know what I had. Maybe it's a bad burrito. Went and got the Pepto-Bismol. Came home, took the Pepto-Bismol, kept trying it for a few days, kept waking up with this just shooting pain. Finally had to go to the doctor. You know what the doctor told me? I got a bad gallbladder. Now think about it. Here was the facts. The fact was I had pain right here in my stomach. Okay, but here was the issue. The facts were this, but the, but the underlying cause was not that I had indigestion. It was that I had a bad gallbladder. So facts can be deceiving. See, instead of going to CVS, like when this started, I should have gone to the doctor, but I went to CVS. There are some folks who um, they base their life on a truth, right, that was given to them maybe even unintentionally by people who love them and maybe it was your mama, it was your grandmama, it was somebody, you know, you saw as an authority in your life. But here's the problem. You have to always ask yourself this. Whose truth lies at the root of my facts? 
Whose truth lies at the root of my facts? You see, God will never compromise his truth. And if we're going to be united in purpose, we also have to be propagating his truth. See, we're all in this together. United in his purpose, not personality, not preference. United in purpose, right? Living and striving in the same truth because God never manifests himself in a group of people who are liars. He only responds to those who walk in his truth. But notice this third thing, and this is huge, and Jesus prays this because, you know, we, we can strive uh, to be in unity. And you have to understand something, though. There is an enemy at the gate. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Have you noticed how Christians are becoming hated because we stand on God's word? You understand that you as a, as a high school student or a college student, you're going to experience persecution. You understand, uh, man or lady, that there in the workplace, there are going to be people who dismiss you whenever you hold to this truth. Uh, because it says this, the world hate them, just as I'm not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that, that you take them out of the world, but listen to this, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Don't you understand that there is an enemy who wants to destroy the unity of every institution that God has erected. In fact, this enemy, Satan, the devil, he loves to weasel his way into homes and the churches. He, he loves this. In fact, in, in the very beginning, you may recall, in Acts, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve have just, you know, right there at the very last couple verses of chapter 2, uh, it says, And the two shall become one flesh. And it talks about how God basically creates the first home. He creates the first union. And it says this, they were naked and unashamed. You know, marriage ought to be the place where shame goes to die. So the very first institution before the church, the government, anything, it's the home. You go to chapter 3, and what is Satan already trying to do? He's already trying to cause problems with what God, in, in the place that God tried to bring unity. And so it says in, in, in Genesis 3.1, and he said to the woman, Do you, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's what's so crafty about Satan. You see, he wants to, through this interaction, and he does with, with Eve, he wants to destroy their marriage. He wants, to, he wants to destroy their children. Ultimately, he wants to destroy the world. And if you listen and look in the story of Adam and Eve, you can pretty well see how those things really and truly did happen. But here's what's fascinating. The devil is not afraid of, uh, of God's name. In fact, he, he'll use his name. He'll use scripture. I mean, he did it with Jesus whenever he tempted him in the, in the desert. I mean, what Satan loves to do is to get us to just sort of tweak who God is, the image of who God really is, and thereby he robs them of the truth of God. John 8, 44 says this, You are the father of the devil, Jesus says to a group of religious people, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar. He's the father of lies. You see, the devil is totally okay with people who want to bless things in the name of God that God can't bless. 
He's totally fine with denominations that would take God's laws and water them down, lower his standards. He's okay with building false systems. He's okay with false religions. In fact, he loves it whenever people will go to a church and they'll worship, and they might even use Christianese-type terms. Yet in every one of these cases, you know what's happening? These people are on the road to hell. The devil has always done that. And he loves to slither his way into the midst of a church, especially churches that are, that are doing well. And can I just say this to you? Man, I love this church because God, for whatever reason, has placed his hand on this church. Man, God, in these days and the days after COVID, he's bringing new people. He's bringing diverse people. Man, he's doing a great thing of unity in this church. The thing I love about it, when I have the opportunity just to be in front of you people, that, man, you can just sense the oneness that we have together. And I want you to understand something. The enemy wants to eradicate and take that out because he's a liar. And, and he has kids. You do know that. That's why, uh, because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. There's, there's always been agents of the enemy outside the church, but there's also agents of the enemy inside the church. And he actually, in, in Romans 16, Paul gives this warning. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. You know, in my yard, um, I, uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of work this summer. And uh, I'll just be honest with you, it's, it's kind of been a nightmare. But the other day I was doing some work in my, in my yard, and I was wearing my sandals. And I, w I wasn't really paying attention where I was at. And so I'm, I'm moving some stuff around. And I'm going to tell you, I stepped in a bed, a mound of fire ants. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you've been bit by fire ants lately, but let me just tell you something. They hurt. They hurt. And you know why they, they hurt so bad? And you know why they mound up and they keep building the mound? Because they actually answer to a queen that's in the mound that tells the workers what to do. And so um, I put my foot in there. And what's interesting about this, this is my yard. Like this is my domain. This is my little kingdom, right? But they, those ants, how dare they, built their own little mound, their own little kingdom in my kingdom. And here's what I would say about that. That's exactly like the devil. The devil loves to come in to, to families. He loves to come into marriages. He loves to come into churches. And he loves to build mounds. And he loves to send operatives who do his bidding in the midst of that. And that's why Ephesians 4.3 says this, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can I simply say this to you? You know, the great part about unity and diversity is this, is that not everybody has the same calling. Here's what I can tell you about this church. God's about to call us to do some great things, some things we've never done before. And, and I'll just say, this is the moment to be asking yourself, do I want to live out God's glory in this place? Oh, I hope and pray you will, because I'm going to tell you something, the best is yet to come. But yet, I do think it's a moment where we have to consider, right, where we are on this journey. See, united in purpose brings us unity fueled by the truth of God's word, right? Protecting it from the enemy. I want you to notice this last characteristic of unity is this, because unity sends a message to the world. You know what? Verse 23, I am them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world might know that you sent me and love them 
as you love me. You see, there's a huge testimony in the unity of believers. It's always been funny to me that, um, you know, there's some towns have the first Baptist church and the second Baptist church and the whatever Baptist And if you really trace back their history, it's because there was a split here and there was a split there and there was a split here and there was a split there. I want you to understand something. That defames and mars the name of Christ. When we speak ill of one another as believer about a believer, it mars the name of Christ. See, a divided world needs a united church more than ever. A, a divided world who can't get it right politically, who can't figure out philosophically, who can't agree on anything, needs the testimony of a church that has all these radically diverse people who, guess what? Because they're united in purpose and they're fueled by the truth and they're fighting off a common enemy. Man, they, there's, there's a powerful statement in that. And people look at that and go, wow. And don't you understand that when, when there's a united people, right, the presence of God manifests in a way that it can't manifest anywhere else. A unified home, a unified church. Uh, when there's unity, there's power because God wants to show off. I love what it says in Psalms 33, 1 through 3. It says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And this last phrase is so powerful. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let me tell you something. When people are unified, you know what God does? God blesses that people. He blesses that church. He blesses those individuals. He blesses those marriages. He blesses those children. He blesses that community. God's blessing always finds itself at the heart of a people that are unified. You know, I, uh, I, I saw that play out this week um, because you see, uh, a divided world needs a united church. And uh, so it was nearly 16 years ago that I became the pastor here at First Baptist Church, Wiley. And on the very same day that I joined this church, my friend Jim Clark joined this church. So this is how God works, and he works through united people. So over these last almost 16 years, I mean, Jim and I have been through, I mean, all kinds of things together. He's been a great friend. He's been a great encourager. He's been a wonderful prayer warrior for me. Um, he's been a guy who I can't tell you, at just the right moment, there's been that text, you know. And I hope in any way, shape, or form, I've been half the kind of friend, pastor, support to him that he has been to me through these years. But here's, here's how God dwells in unity. Because, by the way, Jim's, Jim's older than me. Um, he's a grandfather, you know, he's retired. Um, we're, we're different stages of life, diff different generations, but yet same purpose, right? Fueled by the truth, fighting off a common enemy. And let me just tell you how God's power showed up this past week. So Jim has a friend uh, named Earl, and I have a friend named Tim. Jim's friend Earl, he's known most of his life. I've known Tim most of my life. Um, Earl is in a country. I'm not going to disclose the country because I don't want to mess up their work. But he's in a country, and he's doing mission work. And for months, uh, and I've known this guy from a periphery. I've known Earl from a periphery through, through Jim. About This guy's been in that country for seven years. My friend got to that country about seven months ago. Very much in my spirit, a few months ago, I thought to myself, hey, you know what? Um, 
I need to figure out how to make these this, these these guys get connected. Well, check this out. On 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 uh, it was on Monday. Uh, no, excuse me, Tuesday. Jim texts me. He says, "Hey, Earl's at my house. You think there's any way we could set up a meeting?" So, I just sent an email to my friend Tim. My friend Tim just happened to be. I don't think he just happened to be nothing. Um, he was available. We we had a Zoom meeting with one guy who's in this country, another guy who's on his way back to the country next month. And there's this beautiful connection that's going to happen. You know why that happened? You know why God manifested his, his, he showed up on Tuesday in our conference room on a Zoom call? Because brothers dwelled in unity. Because for 16 years nearly, me and this man, my friend Jim, we've been striving together. And as a result of that, isn't it amazing how this guy and this guy are now going to be friends because of these two guys. That only happened because of unity. You see, friend, there's something powerful in the world. And I'll just say this to you. If you um, don't have the peace of Christ in your life, then none of this is going to make sense to you because you're going to go to church because you're going to be checking it out because it's good for the kids or it's good for business. It's good for your scene. No. The reason that you join a church is because you care about the glory of God. And when a people grasps that purpose, spreading God's fame by making disciples of all people, I'll tell you something, it has the potentiality when it's fueled by the truth. We're fighting off a common enemy. It'll change the world. And the world desperately needs the message we have. You know, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do today. I'm going to encourage you just to, to put a comment there in the box on screen. Um, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear from you. If you say, you know, I, I want to do that, uh, but I don't have access to that, I want to encourage you to do this. Send an email to info at fbw.church, and somebody from our staff team will reach out for it because it starts with a relationship to Christ. But then the second thing is simply this. Some of you need to get plugged into a church. Hey, if you're traveling um, and you're away from us, I hope this helps supplement that. You can never substitute a live worship experience for, for what is on video because there's just the manifest glory of God shows up in our midst. And so I hope to see you really soon. And if not, hey, keep tuning in with us. We'd love to have you. But I do hope you'll find a place wherever you're at that you can call your church home. I want to speak a blessing over you as we depart. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the reality of this. We're all in this together. That Lord Jesus, that when you saved us, you put us into a family. And I pray, God, we would lean into that family. I pray the days ahead in this church and in other churches, because we're so unified about the purpose of the glory of God, we would really and truly realize that the church is the rescue plan for the world, that, that the world desperately needs a Savior. And we know you, Jesus, and you are the Savior. May you do exceedingly and abundantly with our lives the more we could ever ask or think. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Until next time.